Good morning. Many of you know the story of Corrie ten Boom. She and her family lived in the last century in the Netherlands. Her father was a watchmaker. After the Nazi invasion, her family hid Jews and other refugees in their house to protect them from the Nazis. Though they had plenty of room, food was scarce, but they, com they continued to provide rescue and safety to others. On February 28, 1944, a Dutch informant told the Nazis what the family was doing, and on the same day, all ten of the ten booms were arrested. Corey and her sister Bessie ended up in Ravensbrück concentration camp, a work camp in northern Germany. And in her autobiography, The Hiding Place, she writes, Barracks 8 was in the quarantine compound. Next to us, perhaps as a deliberate warning to newcomers, were located the punishment barracks. From there, all day long and often into the night, came the sounds of hell itself. They were not the sounds of anger or of any human emotion, but of a cruelty altogether detached. Blows landing in regular rhythm, screams keeping pace. We would stand in our ten deep ranks with our hands trembling at our sides, longing to jam them against our ears to make the sounds stop. It grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Each day, something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. Now, don't we all encounter events that just don't make sense? Things that make us scratch our heads and ask, why is this happening? You know, what, what's God's purpose here? Maybe you've been hit with an illness or an accident which puts you flat on your back and takes you out of commission and you ask, why, why is this happening, Lord? Maybe you've been hit by a financial difficulty or, or even a failed business. Maybe you're concerned about your child's soul, but it seems like the kids who have to be the worst possible influence are the exact ones who keep entering your child's life. Maybe it just seems like one thing after another goes wrong, and sometimes it just seems like God sends storm upon a storm. There's, there's just no end to events which leave us utterly bewildered about God's plan. So how do we respond to these events that just don't make sense? Well, this morning, we're going we're gonna to take a step away from the book of Ezra, and we're going to look at a uh, small book of Habakkuk. It's uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, about five books from the end. And we'll be centering on Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, and the last three verses of the book. Well, in this small book of Habakkuk, the, the prophet wrestles with understanding God's dealings with Israel. God had used Assyria to punish Israel about 80 years earlier, and the prophet begins by complaining to God about the violence and wickedness he observes in Israel. And in the first few verses of the first chapter, he complains to God about his people. O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? How do you, or why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you look idly at the wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Well, Habakkuk describes a society full of crime, violence, corruption, 
mock legal battles and the defeat of righteousness. It's a ruined society, and the prophet wants to know why God tolerates the flourishing of such wickedness. And God responds by telling him in chapter 1, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And then he tells him, he's going to be sending the Chaldeans, the, the Babylonians, to punish Israel in Assyria. And of course, the prophet complained about that solution. Why would God send the Chaldeans? That'd be like God sending ISIS to solve our political issues in the United States. It'd be like God sending an atheist to solve our church's problems. Throughout the small book, God instructs Habakkuk about his nature and his ways and how his people should respond. And the climax is at the very end in Habakkuk's final response in the last few verses of, the, of chapter 3, Habakkuk three seventeen through 19. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Well, the first point I'd like to make is events many times just don't make sense. Sometimes we just don't see evidence of blessing. For Habakkuk, the problem was with Israel and the surrounding nations and how God was going to deal with them, thus his complaints to God. Things looked bad, and it seemed like God's, solu God's solution looked even worse. God had already used Assyria to punish Israel, and now Habakkuk observes the violence, strife, injustice, and wickedness around him. And God's people were being wicked and disobedient. The king was corrupt. This is not the way it should be. Surely God had to do something about this. God had promised blessing to Abraham and his descendants. These are God's people. These are the ones who are to be a blessing to all the nations. Well, Habakkuk sums it up well in verse 317 using an agrarian imagery. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, and the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be herd, no herd in the stalls. Now, the original readers would have clearly understood the desperate situation that's being described here. We had this one apple tree in our yard when we lived in Montana, and uh, we knew the kind of apple crop we'd have by the blossoms in the spring. Some years the tree didn't produce any blossoms. When there were no blossoms in the spring, there was no fruit. The tree wasn't, the, the, this, the fruit tree isn't blossoming, and there won't be any fruit on the tree this year. Well, Habakkuk describes a situation where he says the olive trees are not producing, okay, no oil this year. The fields which normally produce grain and are, are producing nothing, okay, uh, no bread. And the animals are dying. There's no flocks in the field, no herd in the stalls. What does this describe? It's, it's a picture of famine in the land. The, the cupboard is bare. And, of course, famine meant suffering and death. You know, this is a picture of things going really bad. Sounds pretty bleak. This is the kind of hopelessness that Habakkuk felt. It reminds me of a psalm in which David felt like everything had turned sour. 
He was surrounded by enemies and felt abandoned. In Psalm 13, David cries out to God, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? You know, the Bible tells us of many times when God's people felt abandoned and hopeless. How about the disciples in the boat during the storm when Jesus was sleeping? They asked him, don't you care that we're perishing? How how could the Messiah sleep at such a time when his disciples were clearly in, in grave danger? The early Christians must have been utterly perplexed about the persecution from the Romans and, and from the Jews. Why did God allow false teachers into the church? Didn't he know about the wolves in sheep clothing that who could destroy the, the works of Christ? Why did he allow his own son to be murdered on the cross what about today's church we, we see christians being persecuted and slaughtered in shocking numbers in, in the middle east we see churches which have died in post-christian europe we've seen churches in our own country being misled by by wolves in sheep's clothing Many churches are, are declining and losing their effectiveness. They're inward-focused, having abandoned Christ's mandate to make disciples of all nations. And we're, we're realizing that our country is a Christian nation in name only. Well, God has always allowed us to find ourselves in impossible situations, things where it just doesn't make sense. But with God, things aren't always the way they appear. Our, our sovereign God has a plan. Verse 318. First, we need to realize that God deals with mankind in unexpected ways. He doesn't always operate according to our rules. He had told Habakkuk that his plan would be unbelievable. His plan would be way out of the boundaries of Habakkuk's wildest imagination. Knowing that God operates like this should be obvious to us, but we can be very short-sighted. Habakkuk states that in spite of everything seeming hopeless, he will take joy in the God of his salvation. The God of salvation is the God with a plan, and the plan is for his glory and for the ultimate good of his people. God is still on his throne. He is God, and, and we are not. His holiness and his lordship and sovereignty are made clear in, in verse 220. He says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. You know, God tells Habakkuk the ultimate result of his plan, and that he will in due course prevail. He tells the ultimate result of his plan. He says in verse 218 that the earth will one day be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Well, this prophecy was fulfilled in part when God's plan was enacted. God's judgment was made known throughout the world that the Hebrews knew. The ultimate fulfillment, though, is, is yet to happen. The knowledge of God's glory, the gospel of Jesus Christ, was commanded by Jesus Christ himself to his disciples. And this is the command for the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I've had conversations with fellow Christians, especially when we lived in Dallas. 
on how how many Muslims are settling in our country. Dallas is a place where immigrants go. And there are, there are huge communities in Dallas of all types of people from various places around the world. And a lot of, a lot of uh, Christians that I knew were uh, despairing about this. Uh, well, these, these people, they don't share our values. They're, they were seen as a threat to our stability, uh, though I don't know how much stability we actually have. Uh, but, you know, the question is, how, how can God allow this to happen? What are we going to do? But God has a plan. You know, could it be that this is part of God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel? You know, if we cannot send missionaries to closed countries, maybe we can reach the people from those countries who have settled in our own communities. God has brought the ends of the earth to us. Uh, isn't this an opportunity he's given us to, to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ? I'd like to return to Corey Ten Boom's story. She said, every day something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. But as the rest of the world grew stranger, only one thing became in, uh, increasingly clear. And that was the reason the two of us were here, she writes. Why others should suffer, we were not shown. As for us, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in the ranks for roll call, our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of health and hope. Large waves clustered around a blazing fire. We gathered about it, holding our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God used the Timboon sisters to be ministers of grace and hope to those around them. And, and many received Christ as a result. In the, in the pit of darkness, God worked. And those who looked on him had hope. Uh, Corey's sister Betsy's health continued to deteriorate, and she died on December 16, 1944, at the age of 59. Before she died, she told Corey, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. There's no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. God has a plan. We always have hope because we know what is going on. God has this. Being given this hope, how how should we live it out? Well, we need to respond to situations that just don't make any sense with submissive faith in a sovereign God. The evidence doesn't always seem to point to God's triumph, but God tells Habakkuk what he needs to know and what to tell the people. In verse two, verses 2, 2 through 3, he tells the prophet to write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it for still the vision awaits the appropriate time it surely will come it is not it will not delay god operates on his own timeline and his plan will unfold at the proper time never too early never too late and there's a res there's an appropriate response given here in uh, verse 2:4 which states the righteous shall live by faith the appropriate response is the same now as it's always been. Habakkuk gives us 
a picture of life, the life of faith in the last two verses in our passage. Despite the lack of evidence of blessing, despite the appearance that God is not working, he says in verse 18 and 19, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. Rest in God's promises. God is the God of salvation. And that gives us reason to rejoice. Bring your concerns and anxieties to him because he truly cares. Trust in him. Our joy doesn't come from our desire for living comfortably, having everything figured out. Our joy is derived from Him. And finally, we must rely on God for our strength. Habakkuk says that God Himself is His strength. God makes us sure when our trust is in Him. Like the deer in high places, He makes our footing secure. I love this image. Now, we have plenty of deer in, in Stevens County and, and a few high places as well. Uh, Mount Abercrombie is the highest place in our our county, uh, 7310 feet above sea level. How about Israel? What's the highest point? I looked it up. It's Mount Hermon, 7330 feet above sea level. That's quite high considering the sea is only about 30 miles away. When we lived in Montana, we had deer and we had plenty of high places. Well, we also had mountain goats. Uh, these were amazing uh, sure-footed animals. One time Chris and I were hiking on Mount Aeneas in the Bob Marshall Wilderness area in northwest Montana. And the path that we were on uh, would take us to the top of the mountain where we, where we would get this beautiful view of the surrounding area called Jewel Basin. But as we went up the mountain, the, the trail just kind of disappeared and uh, really we were kind of stymied as we tried to figure out what, what the best way to proceed safely would be. And just then, a mountain goat came up. He, he looked at us in his um, mountain goaty way. He snorted, and he went on up. I mean, seriously, he showed us how to get up the mountain. And this is the image we have here. He's speaking of deer. Deer have an amazing, uh, an amazing way of stability about them. A deer is sure-footed. Uh, it, it's an animal that can negotiate pretty difficult terrain. So in closing, how do we deal with events that just don't make sense? We respond with submissive faith in our sovereign God. We have the hope that ultimately God's glory will be known throughout the world and his plan will prevail. And so we have a choice. We can choose to live in despair and pessimism, or we can have the joy of living by faith in our sovereign God. In Hebrews 11.5, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Praise be to God.